That's right, it's that time again, it's Range Anxiety. My name's Martin Donnan, bringing you 30 years of automotive tuning experience in 30 minutes, a couple of times a week, and I'm going to take you today to the candy shop. Just like old mate Fiddy was telling us in that uh, nice little opening riff. This epicast is one born of frustration. I've had a big day on the job today doing some work. Yeah, that's right, I do some work from time to time. And I've been dealing with candy shoppers. Now candy shoppers in my game, they don't buy candy canes. They aren't out there buying all day gobstoppers. Nope. What they do, normally do is go out there, a lot of them, and just buy all day pain in the asses for me and others that are unfortunate as I am to have to do this stuff for a living. What's that stuff? Modify cars and make other people's shit fit them. Now, the biggest problem always, if you're in the professional automotive industry, now if you're listening to this as a fellow workshop, you'll be like giggling along, going, oh, he's right, all right. And yeah, I am. Um, thankfully, autopilot's trying to calm me down on the way home. In fact, I'm about to turn it on, and there you go, I'm in autopilot, so I can actually relax and talk to you now. But the biggest problem we have in this industry, and, and you listen to this too, customers, because it can make your life end users it can make your life easier too the biggest problem we have is people buying their own shit now it's always a common belief that anyone in the automotive industry is out to steal from you that's what people think I don't know why they think that but they think that and as such what they listen what they tend to do is listen to that guy on the internet friend, foe, whatever it is, someone on the internet that wouldn't know their arsehole from their ear hole, right? The only time they've ever got their hands dirty is when they've fallen over in their backyard. Yet they take their word as gospel and they know more than you about what works and what doesn't. So what happens is a lot of guys and gals will bring a whole bag of shit they've just bought, their own parts that have been recommended to them by the internet and say, I want a quote for you to fit this stuff fit my candy shop parts to the car and I want it down to the scent thanks oh autopilot even that got pissed off with me then and just turned off I want to know exactly how much it costs to fit and I want to know exactly how much power I'm gonna make well how the hell am I gonna bloody tell you for a start right for a start if you buy your own parts and we don't know them we don't know if they fit what there are parts out there in the automotive aftermarket that don't fit properly Oh yeah, yeah, there's a few of them. I reckon about oh, 90%. No, not quite that many, but there's a lot of parts, a lot of things you can buy out there that don't actually fit. Now, alongside me right now is a massive semi-class truck and it's very, very loud and we all can't wait till those filthy, stinking things are replaced with electric ones. It's coming soon, but enough of that. So you bring me a bag of parts, fit them to my car, I want to know exactly how much, and I'm like, well, I don't know if they fit. Oh yeah, but they fit because my friend on the internet told me. Well, why don't you get him or her to fit them? Oh, they don't want to do it because that's not what they do for a living. Right. Exactly right. So why the bloody hell are you listening to them? Hmm, interesting. My favourite though is, if you agree, look, Anything that fits straight on should take this much. Any extra work will be charged at this rate per hour. Uh, okay, you can get that through sometimes. But then there's the corker. Well, how much power am I going to make? 
I don't bloody well know. I don't know what it is you bought. How do you, why don't you ask the people that sold you the parts? Oh, they just sell them. But this guy on the internet made this, and it all links back to the old episode that we did. And if you haven't listened to it yet, please listen to it. Called, oh, autopilot's back on. Called Tuna Casino. If you listen to Tuna Casino, you understand how a lot of people in this game, because it's an emotion game, you know, and it's a, it's a jolly game, will tend to bend numbers and do things and uh, to get the best result for them to extract your money out of you the quickest. Yeah, that's right, that happens too. So while this might sound like a bit of rambling, it is something born of frustration. Now, what are my favorite candy shop parts? Well, my favorite of all would have to be um, a part that really does nothing outside of application, particularly when it replaces a factory one, is a blow-off valve. Now these are acoustic devices in most cases. In most cases, they are there to make a cool noise and you get your plumb back, your semi-plumb back, back, and you know, manufacturers that have blow-off valves on cars, put them back through the inlet so as not to disturb the airflow meter and not overfuel. However, a lot of manufacturers out there have decided that if they make some cheap piece of shit that vents to the atmosphere, skews the airflow meter signal, dumps fuel like it's free into the engine, you can often not only make that cool noise that everyone wants to know about so much, well, generally those 30 and under, or those that don't know much about cars, but it can also overfuel to the engine to the point where it will flame out of the exhaust. Well, there you go, that's what we need, we need flames. Absolutely. Crackle tune, anyone? This is more of like a barbecue tune. But yeah, how much? And that's all right. Look, the blow-off valve in that instance is serving a purpose, and it's a legitimate, if somewhat childish purpose, it serves a purpose. But then people are saying, how much power am I going to make with a blow-off valve? You're going to make bloody none. In fact, you're probably going to foul your plug sooner. You're probably going to lose power. Oh. Oh, I don't know why that is. Well, I know what it is, but it's the part that does nothing. My next favourite, and this is out of the blue actually, is strut braces. Now, strut braces are there to stiffen up your car, allegedly, across the front or rear shock towers, and they look cool, and you can bolt them on, and they're very furious and very allegedly fast. But like a wise old man once explained to me, and he showed me the reasoning behind this, and it was quite intoxicating to see at the time, if you grab this strut brace before it's on the car, put it on the ground, put one end on the ground, hold the other end in your hands, if your whole body weight can flex it, which in 99.9% of cases that I've tested, or in fact all cases that I've tested, you can flex it, then it's not going to do a bloody thing on the car. This is a lot more force being generated through the shock towers to twist the chassis of a car than our little fat tummies and small bodies are going to be able to impart. You get what I'm saying? Kind of looks cool, but kind of does nothing. Well, that's just another part that does nothing. My favourite though, my favourite, and I'm sort of saving the best till last, it's not last, if they, there'll be many more. I'm just doing this in an abstract way because my head's scattered everywhere at the moment. Would have to be high flow cap converters. 
Now, Euro 4, Euro 5, and probably Euro 6 by now, catalytic converters are very technical devices. They're beautifully made. They're made with expensive, very expensive components inside them, and they cost manufacturers. Even manufacturers that buy lots of this stuff, they cost manufacturers in a lot of instances over $1,000 a piece in the factory. And they perform a wonderful job at cleaning the exhaust gas as quickly as possible and removing all of those nasties. So when you upgrade your exhaust to an open exhaust, why the hell would you put on some 100 cell Bangladeshi Chinese thing that doesn't even work at all in your exhaust just to have the warm fuzzy feeling that you've got a high flow cat? News ladies and gentlemen, these alleged high flow cats don't do anything. In fact, they are mounted that far away from the engine in most cases, and they're made that cheaply and that poorly. They don't do anything at all. How do I know this? Is that just Martin making out he's better and smarter than everybody else? No. They bring the bloody cat light on straight away. You know that catalytic converter efficiency light codes PO420 and codes PO430, if you happen to have two of them, like in a V configuration engine, brings on the cat light straight away. So anything that brings on the cat light, catalytic converter, efficiency out of range and low, tells you automatically that they don't work. Oh, well, that's fine. Just turn the code off. Okay, that's fine too. You can just turn the code off and a lot of us will do it. But why even put a catalytic converter in there at all when they're doing nothing? Either stick with the factory piece and most of the factory pieces float absolutely beautifully. They aren't junk, they aren't crap, they flow wonderfully. So why even bother with something that doesn't do its job, you're paying money for, when a straight piece of pipe will suffice? Yes, it's illegal. I'm not telling to you to remove your catalytic converters. Converters. I'm all for clean air technologies and low emission stuff. I mean, any of you that listen to me know I rabbit on about EVs constantly. So I'm not going to be the one that tells you to remove any of this stuff from your car. But if you're gonna put on something that is clearly illegal anyway, oh, what? A high flow cat that triggers inefficiencies in the standard ECU is illegal? Well, of course it is. The computer's screaming at you in your car that what you've just done to it doesn't work. Do they make any more power than a current spec Euro 5 or 6 cat? No, not in most instances that I've ever tested too true well what good do they do well they give you a candy shop a warm fuzzy feeling that you've done something good for the car and the environment which you haven't all you've done is give someone else your money for absolutely nothing you show me a race car a proper race car not something that a friend has built that's considered a race car but a proper race car that runs a hundred cell cat they don't and why? Because normally they're made so cheaply that they block and fall apart at the first sign of heat stress anyway. So that's one of my other favourite parts. Now let's move on to yet another beauty, and that is the hot air induction. Now I had some big arguments, I'm not going to go into it, in the day with aftermarket pod filters, like in application, done properly. Um, like, for example, my friends at Process West, they do pod filtration properly. They use a proper filter like a K&N. 
Yes, I'm a fan of the K&M product. Some of you might not like it, that's bad luck, but I know the people, I know the product, I've dealt with them for a long time, and yep, it works. In application, it works. Someone like Process West can do a pod enclosed in an airbox that has a proper feed, proper volumetrics, and is tested, that works, and they do work. Most of the cold air intakes you buy are not developed, are not tested, and do not work. All they do is sound cool, because again, you've taken away some of the inlet volumetrics of the system and you've exposed the engine to make it sucking and gurgling noises and it sounds cool. Most cases it doesn't work at all and it is a performance reducer. That is right. There is, it is very, very hard and only very, very few aftermarket inlets on any brand of car even when made in application and used in application can outflow the paper air filter element that your car comes standard from the factory with. Not only can't they outperform them, in most cases, they can't outfilter them. Some can, and they're the rare ones that I've already mentioned. So yeah, what's even worse is when you use an air filter out of application. Now I have seen, and this is no word of a lie, a 1500 horsepower engine with a pair of twin turbo V6 with a pair of air filters off a, well designed primarily for a 1600 or 2 litre Celica on it. That's right, a Celica, like a normally aspirated 2 litre engine sucking through one of these filters, yeah that's right, and one of them was supposed to go on the front of each of these turbos on this big horsepower V6 engine and work. Now I thought originally, because I was doing some work with this car at the time, that they were on there as a transport filter. So that if and when you started the engine and it was on the trailer or getting off the trailer in a dusty environment ready to go racing, that that would be on there for then and you would then flick them off, right? You would flick them off and put, if you had to, put a set of turbo guards or some similar wire mesh rock stoppers on the front, right? So that the thing could actually breathe and work. Oh no, this guy knew better than me. In fact, he knew better than pretty much everyone in the world about anything and everything. We called him postage stamp because what he didn't know, you could write on the back of one. Pity most of it was wrong. So what would happen is that when this car would go down the track, it would lose mile an hour. Like, down the deep end. When we're talking the track, I'm talking about drag racing here. Yeah, I've been around that a little bit. Know a little bit about it. Not as much as the super smart guys. But I know what you should trap for your weight when you're making a certain amount of horsepower. Nah, this thing was nowhere near it. So, we had a look at it. And you could see this car was equipped with a flat shift, full throttle upshift transmission. So there's no backing off the throttle. So theoretically, what you would think is that there would be no backing off the boost curve either. Nah, every time the car shifted gears, there's a big airflow demand. There's a big airflow demand change as the car runs out of the, the high RPM range and falls back right into the meat of its torque band again. It will take a big suck at the air filters. And this car was running 35 PSI boost and on gear shift, it was dropping to around 20 psi boost so what it was actually doing is it was sucking the air cleaners in flat 
which of course will reduce the boost pressure. It makes negative boost when that happens. But not only does it make negative boost, the turbocharger shaft speed runs out of control. So not only was this thing losing mile an hour, but it was starting to eat turbochargers because the shaft speed would take a spike. As it tries to make that boost, it's dropping when the, when the filter sucks flat. When it tries to make that boost back again, it was probably pulling an extra 50, 60,000 RPM. We didn't have shaft speed sensors in it. I'll explain why in a minute. But no matter how I tried to explain this and what testing we did, nope, data logging lies. Well, one thing I've learned, and I've probably said this in an earlier podcast, but you know what? Stuff it, I'm going to repeat it again. Data never lies. Data has no reason to lie. It doesn't want to lie. It doesn't care whether you believe it or not. It just sits there and tells the story as it sees it. Bad luck if you don't want to believe it. So this was an ongoing argument. And if we could just flick these stupid air filters off the front of this thing, this engine would start to go properly. But no, it never happened. And I eventually lost contact with that car, thank God. Um, But the whole reason it happened is because when people go to the candy shop, they always buy the best tasting candy. No one ever likes to say, I bought some candy for my car and it tastes like shit. Because that obviously means you're stupid. No, it doesn't. People can make mistakes, people can buy the wrong parts, and so it all boils back to this. When you want to buy parts for your car, your pride and joy, that you want to go fast, and you want this thing to be as as successful as it can be, and you want it to maybe, even if you're hardcore enough, you maybe want it to even set some records, then please, by all means, please, please, pretty please, speak to somebody that knows what they're talking about. Understand that in your field, you more than likely know a lot more than them. In fact, you don't have to be in too much of any field at all to know a lot more than me. I'm the first one to admit it. But listen to their advice. I can tell you what air filters are going to work. And no, and what blower valves are going to work and what strut braces aren't going to work, aren't going to work at all. That's all of them. Um, and from there, you can end up with the result. No one's out to rip you off. The prices of all of this stuff are that well documented on the internet now that if you get ripped off blind for parts, then you kind of deserve it. There is no excuse. There is no reason. Get a professional, a trusted professional. Do it. Don't fall for the Tuna Casino. If you haven't listed, listened to Tuna Casino, Casino, go back and listen to it. You can see I'm making all of these mess-ups today in the way I'm speaking because I'm so impassioned about this. I've just had a day of it. You know what I mean? And yeah, oh, it's a pain in the ass. But find yourself a trusted professional. Speak to them. Deal with them. Now, there are other parts out there. There are other parts out there that are also frustrating in the way they work and in fact don't work and the industry is full of them the candy shop though teaches you if you're a candy shopper that if it looks good it works and there is far more that goes on inside of an engine and in an engine bay in general around the support systems 
there is so much more than aesthetics. You know, we were taught this in the early days of engineering. If it looks like it's gonna work, it probably is gonna work. But being pretty doesn't mean it's going to work. You see what I'm saying? What's happening is that your visual appreciation skills are being, or instincts, are being taken advantage of to sell something that in most cases the manufacturers know does not work at all. But that doesn't matter. They just sell it anyway. The good guys have the ethos of testing, having data available on their websites. Yes, data, raw data, because as we know, data never lies. Data can be manipulated to suit certain purposes. And yes, there have been companies guilty of this over the years, many, many times. However, in most cases, in most cases, you don't, I was just trying to let someone out then, but no, she was looking the other way. BMW driver, that happens. Old one too. Yeah. Um, so in most cases, when someone has gone to the effort or a company has gone to the effort of putting data for their product up out there for people to analyze and attempt to crucify them over, yeah, that happens too, then normally they have a good product. So that's the first thing you should look for. Don't look for some bloke person on the internet that has got a lot of fake followers and is giving them free shit that doesn't work to say good stuff about this shit they're trying to get retail out of for you that doesn't work don't believe a word of it again go back speak your professional look for data look for stuff that works and then have it installed with someone that knows what they're doing and guess what you're not gonna go wrong you're not going to end up with a smouldering piece of shit at the end of the day. You're going to end up with a good carb that goes fast. So a lot of the professionals out there that listen to this, and there are lots of you, especially in the US. I don't hear a lot from you guys in the US. It's mainly the loudmouth Aussies, like, you know, people like me that are talking to me. I want you to list some of the parts out there that don't work. There are tons of them. The Subaru scene is probably one of the biggest scenes for parts that I've seen that don't work. Because those cars, they blow up quite easily and frequently, even when totally standard. There seems to be this culture of failure that exists saying, oh, well, if it doesn't work, that's okay. At least it didn't blow my car up. Well, yeah, that's a pretty slack out, you know, and there's more to it than that. So please, I need your feedback. I need you guys and girls out there in car people land to send me through your favourite examples of stuff that don't work, parts that don't work, to dtech at senet.com.au, d-t-e-c-h at senet.com.au. You send them through, and I promise you, not only will you get a mention on the show, I'll repeat them, I'll repeat them, I'll give you credit for them, and you'll love what I've got to say. Now, I hope nobody took offence to this one. I mean, bad luck if you're out there selling shitty parts that don't work. You deserve to take offence. But sometimes frustration is the mother of invention. And the invention, in this case, of this frustration was this fantastic epicast, better known as Candy Shop. So please, stay tuned. I thank you for your listening. I thank you for your feedback. Stay tuned. Check back in soon. There'll be another range anxiety by the weekend and you know what i'm going to put some extra effort into this one just so that you love it even more thanks for listening